Welcome to The Bee Podcast. The mission of The Bee is to create an inspiring platform for all women of every age group to have meaningful conversations with the intent to genuinely understand each other's journey, to listen to stories similar and different than our own, engage in each other's triumphs and failures, hear and validate one another on the separate unique journeys we have traveled, the loss we have endured, the joy we have encountered, and the reason behind the lessons we have learned. Bees symbolize community, personal growth, and power. And that is what we aim to do here. Create community, foster growth, and empower women. I'm Cami Milliken, and this is The Bee Podcast. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of The Bee Podcast. We are only two episodes away from wrapping up our very first season on The Bee, but don't worry, we'll be back in February with more great interviews and conversations you love. Hillary LaPointe is a former high school athlete, a current mom, teacher, wife, and friend. As Hillary found herself struggling to keep up with her routine after her college career in sports ended, she gained clarity in what athleticism and healthy living really is. Struggling with her diet, Hillary found the balance she'd been searching for by fueling her body for health. Today, she's going to discuss her journey to finding the best version of health and her mission to run a marathon and finish in her best time. Join me today in listening to Hillary's sweet, feel-good story. Hi everyone, I'm here with Hillary LaPointe. Hillary, thank you so much for agreeing to share your unique experience. I am just in awe of your ability and your endurance uh, in running marathons. I'm so excited to talk to you. How are you? I am good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited about this conversation because I think a lot of us are capable of doing things more than what we're, what we think we're capable of doing, but then we just have a hard time pushing ourselves to that limit of, you know, uncomfortability, if that's even a word, you know, in, in doing those things. So let's go, let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about who you are. All right. I am a preschool through sixth grade art and music teacher at the Fremont um, Elementary in Fremont. It's part of the Eddieville Blakesburg School District. Um, I'm in my third year teaching there. I like to go to auctions, which is really strange. And my dad would be proud of me because I used to like give him a hard time because he'd go to auctions all the time. And I would kind of make fun of him because he'd buy all this crap and now I'm addicted to it and I love it. My husband and I like to do lots of DIY projects. We have two boys, Hayden and Marshall. Hayden is seven. Marshall just turned five a few days ago. And we live here in Ottumwa. We've lived here forever. So that's awesome. Hillary, where did you graduate? When when what year and when did you graduate high school? I graduated in 2005 from Cardinal, actually. From Cardinal. Okay. Okay. Because I'm like, I know that we are like around the same age, but I don't, I was like, I, I wonder if we were at a tumble at the same time, but no, the answer is no. Yes. Okay. All right. So you, in your time at Cardinal and then in college, right, you were an athlete. So um, when did you begin your athletic career? Um, I started playing softball when I was five and just went all the way through college playing. So what was it about softball that like drew you in? It was the first sport I ever remember playing and my dad was my coach and then I my parents got divorced when I was eight years old and we ended up oh I have three younger siblings and we lived with my dad most of the time and I just kind of had a rocky relationship with my mom after that point and my siblings would go to my mom on the weekends or every other weekend, but I would stay with my dad. So 
I've really put my heart and my soul into softball. And it just, we traveled all over the place, just my dad and I, and it just was my like go-to escape from all the realities that was going on in my little world. Yeah. Like your saving grace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's really cool that you had that, but then you also had, you were able to share that with your father as well. Mm -hmm. So you started it at age five and you played softball. Is there any other sport that you played that you particularly loved or was it, you were totally dead set on softball? Softball was definitely my number one. Uh, All my extra time went into that, but I also played basketball in high school and I really enjoyed that. I mean, I wasn't as great of a basketball player, but I really enjoyed playing basketball too. Well, and as an athlete, you have to, you know, kind of stay in shape and I'm certain basketball helps with, you know, your endurance and um, strength training and all of that in order to make sure that when softball season came around, you were able to do that. Right. For sure. And that definitely helped a lot. And I mean, it was something I like to do. So it wasn't where I felt like, oh, I have to play all these sports so I can stay, you know, stay in shape for softball. I just liked to play it. Yeah. You know, I think softball is thinking about it. I mean, t-ball is like the first thing that you can sign your kids up for, you know, like I think we signed our daughter up for softball when she was like three and (laughs) it really is. It's like one of the first ones that you can do. I mean, you can't run track when you're, when you're, you know, three years old. I mean, I guess kind of they do all day long as they run all day long. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, that's really wonderful um, that you had that. You were able to share that with your father. Now, talking about running a marathon and kind of segueing into that piece, did you ever, did you run tracks as a high school student or a college student? No. This is a funny story. I decided my senior year I was going to go out for cross country. And I lasted for two days and then decided I didn't like to run. So I quit. And then I did go out for track as a senior, but I didn't run anything further than a 400, which is one lap around the track. So no distance running, no track star or anything like that. Which is so different for you now. I mean, now running is part of your life. It's part of your norm. And you know what? It's crazy to think about how, you know, as we grow and we are able, like, we know what we're capable of and we have a little bit more confidence and not everyone is watching us. I think, you know, in, in order to stay healthy, we kind of start, we see how our bodies are changing and, you know, after children, how they look different. And I think it's really incredible. The older that we get, the more we kind of invest in our health as a means of taking care of ourselves, like mentally and physically, whereas, you know, in high school or in college, it's not necessarily because you're doing it for your physical or your mental health. You're just doing it because you enjoy it. And it's like, a passion. Whereas later on in your life, you're able to kind of invest and discover new things about yourself. So I think that's fascinating that you were able to discover that, oh no, I I think I do like running, even though you had that total part of your life where you did not, (laughs) not a distance runner. (laughs) So then let's kind of talk about finding yourself after sports ended for you. Your senior year, you graduated from Cardinal. And then where did you go to um, college? And did you play softball all the way through college? Yes, I went to Indian Hills after high school for two years. And I played played softball there. And then I went to Iowa Wesleyan in Mount Pleasant and finished out my career there. So that was a very good experience. I'm so glad I did it. I'm certain that it feels 
like family too, when you have been doing it for that long and um, you develop those relationships with people. I mean, what did you most enjoy about softball then? I mean, I just liked being with my teammates and traveling the country. Like we went everywhere, Arizona, Florida, all throughout the Midwest, we were everywhere. And it was just like, I found my best friends in college and we're still best friends today. And it was just so fun just being with everybody. Yeah. And you have that common interest for sure to kind of bind you together. How was, you know, training for softball in college? How did that differ for you? Um, It was a lot more intense than high school. And in high school, we were a very good team. We won state two years in a row and we went a third year and we practiced hard in high school, but going into college at Indian Hills and into that program was just an eye opener. It was hard. We were sore all the time, just a whole different level of intensity in my eyes. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, I was not an athlete (laughs) like ever. So, so yeah, I can imagine that that would be really, really challenging. You know, I mean, everything is challenging once you get to, to college for sure. So then after, or after college ended for you at Iowa Wesleyan, how did you, you know, find yourself after sports ended? I mean, physical activity had been such a big thing for you. I mean, how did you kind of navigate the world of, you know, I'm in sports and this has been my life since I was five years old and now what? Well, I didn't even realize how big of an issue it was until it was like March of the following year after I graduated from college and I was working and I was like feeling so down and just depressed even and it wasn't until then that I realized oh for the past four years I've been in like Florida right now playing softball um, just relaxing not working in the real world and I just felt like then I realized okay what can I do to help me get through this and then that's when I kind of started running and I did my first race then the following Ball, and I just kind of became addicted to running, I guess, in a way. Yeah. So after softball, then, you know, after like that letdown of like, oh man, what, what to do now? But I feel like running does, or, you know, any sort of physical activity, and especially for athletes who have been, you know, physical activity has been such a part of your life. And then to like have that, you know, taken away, unless you're actively, you know, working out every day and, you know, having that set routine, you could start to feel really um, lost or like even you said a feeling of depression because you're all of a sudden not doing all of like, what is it? Endorphins, that dopamine, like all of those good feeling chemicals are kind of stopped or hindered. So that would totally make sense. Yeah. So you ran your first race. What was that like after, you know, after your first one that you, that you raced? Well, my first race was a 10 K, which is 6.2 miles. And it was in Iowa city. It was awesome environment. There were people just on the streets throughout the whole thing. And I felt like it was forever. Six miles felt so long. But after that, I just kept going with the races. And I, like, 5Ks, 10Ks. And then I started training for my first half marathon. Did my first half marathon in the spring of 2010. My goal was two hours. I made it in 201. 
it was freezing. It was terrible. And then I was just, you know, all the races. So did you feel kind of like running was your, your happy place again? Like, you know, how softball was kind of fulfilling for you in those relationships. Running is, you know, a single sport. I mean, it's not like, it's not like a team sport necessarily. I mean, cross country is, but you know what I'm saying? Like track Mm -hmm. is not necessarily a team Mm -hmm. sport or running, I guess. So did you start to feel like this was kind of taking that, filling that void for you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've always been a competitor and then it was a little different because I did have to start, you know, competing really with myself and running is a very lonely sport, especially long distances. But yeah, I definitely it did feel the, fill the void of not playing softball anymore. Well, and this, you know, I've been following you for the, the most recent marathon that you, that you ran. And like in following you, I was really encouraged and inspired by like, you're, you're talking about competing with yourself and um, that's gotta be really hard because that's up in your mental space. And, you know, you would post every day, like, this is what I did. And here's, um, here was my time and here's how I felt about it. And I really loved your transparency about the entire training. And, and we'll get to that in a second, but can you talk a little bit more about competing with yourself? Like, I mean, at, from, from the beginning of your career in, you know, racing, like you, your first race was a 10 K to now, like, tell us about that headspace of, of competing with yourself and, you know, getting down on yourself, but then also granting yourself grace. Okay. So when I first started in 2010, I was, oh, 23 years old. So I was young and I was just doing it to do it. I really didn't have to, I mean, it was hard. Some of it was hard, but if I just didn't want to do it, I just didn't do it. I just stopped. And now throughout the past few years, I'm more confident in myself and just knowing that I can do anything that I put my mind to. My mind is going to stop me before my body stops me. And that's where I really have to dig deep within my brain and not quitting. Like, don't quit on yourself. You can do it. I do a lot of personal development, a lot of self-talk, especially when I'm running. And that's just really the difference between when I, my 23 year old self would quit all the time. Like I'd run a couple miles and then just stop. Whereas now I am going to push through the hard, I'm going to push through the pain and I'm not going to stop until I'm done. So do you, I mean, I don't run lo- those long distances. I think the longest I've ever run is like eight miles, like in one setting. And I thought I was, I thought that was it for me. And I remember like crying, but I kept going. Like, did you have miles where you just like cried and ran through it? Oh yes. One that comes to mind is I was doing a 16 mile training run on a Saturday and it was summer. It was hot and we live on gravel roads. So it was Grab. I decided to do it on gravel for some reason. I don't know, but it was the hardest run of this whole training program. And I remember just tears were coming down my face and I was crying and I, I made it, but it took me a long time. And that was even harder than running the whole 26.2 miles. It was just terrible. I had to walk. Do you think it was your, like a combination of your mental capacity, uh, you know, at that, at that point, physical pain of it and, and mental? Yeah, definitely. And it was just, 
it was just hard because there's hills out here by my house and it was just going back and forth so many times and I was hurt my feet were hurting my ankles were hurting I just wanted to give up but I didn't yeah I mean again the older we get the more we're like nope you get a little more determined you get a little more hard on yourself and because you know that you're capable of doing things because Mm -hmm. I mean even after having children you know I mean, I don't know about you, but after I had all of my babies, I was like, I can do, I can literally do anything right now. I could, I could like pick up a car. I am, I am so capable of so many things. Like, you you know, you have these realizations that you're, that you are, you're, you're more able to do those things than you think. So you often talk about what life was like before you started investing in yourself and your health and your well being. Can you talk about what caused that shift in your mind of your first marathon compared to this one in my following you because I follow you and I love following you and watching you. You had talked about how the differences in your diet and your training. Can you talk about those differences? Yeah. So my first marathon, I was 23 years old. I was young, still in like, you know, the party phase of my life. And I would just eat whatever I wanted, drink whatever I wanted and not care really. And I would go out and I'd run and then I would eat like everything or not. I don't even know, but I just remember just not taking it seriously. Like I had so many unhealthy habits and I just, I don't know. I was young. I guess that's, I had a Timex watch it didn't track miles or distance or anything. So for my training, I would just estimate how many hours I should run for. And that's what I did. I mean, how did your diet change this time around? Like what, what, what did you do this time that was more deliberate? So I mostly like to stick with like a, a lower carb, higher protein diet for the most part. But as my training got like I got deeper into it, I would incorporate more carb, carbohydrates and like make sure I was drinking all the water and getting nutrition basically rather than eating Cheetos or chips or whatever. And it made a huge difference in my training. And especially the longer runs that I had to do, I would make sure I would eat carbs the night before and then it would help me to get through those longer distances the next day. So your relationship with food, has it always been, talk, talk about your relationship with food for a second, because I want to hear the things from you because I know that it's kind of been tumultuous a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay. When I was a senior in high school was the first time I ever stepped on a scale and it was during basketball season. I was mortified at what it said. And it wasn't even that bad looking back, but From that day in January until I graduated in May, I lost 22 pounds. I did not eat. I I didn't eat breakfast. I would sit in the classroom at lunch with my head down or I'd eat a hard-boiled egg. And then I might eat a few crackers at night for those five months or however long it was. And then I guess during that time, I was, I did run like two miles was the most I'd ever run, but I became like, it was a terrible habit of not eating, running, and then I played basketball and working out all the time. And then I went to college in August. Food was readily available everywhere. So I kind of went from one end of the spectrum with not eating anything to eating everything. And then I gained 40 pounds my 
freshman year of college. And then that just led to more bad habits. And then as I went through college, my freshman, sophomore, junior year of college were the same, like binge eating, drinking. And then my senior year of college, I kind of turned it around a little bit and became a little healthier. But it wasn't until I got pregnant with Hayden that I decided enough is enough. I cannot raise a child and have these terrible habits. Like I do not want my child to ever hear me say anything negative about myself because I was really bad at that. And I don't want him to see me being unhealthy or him or her, I didn't know at the time, but from that point on, when I was 25, when I got pregnant, that's what stopped it for me. I was done with the eating, disordered eating. I was done with all of the negative talk. Like I used to beat myself up all the time. Like I would say, I'm so fat. I look terrible. This, all these terrible things. And then something clicked in my, in me when I got pregnant and I just never wanted my kids to hear that stuff come out of my mouth. They're seeing me doing those things. Yeah. And that can be so illuminating to have that experience when you know that someone else is going to be watching you. Do you think that it was more about your children than it was for you at that point? Like, I don't need to make these changes necessarily for me, but I want for my children to see me doing like, you know how, you know how in our headspace, we can kind of hold conflicting views, like, you know, believe this to be true, but also believe like two conflicting viewpoints to be true. So like, I still think these bad things about myself, but I also know that I need to treat myself better. So do you feel like you had that cognitive, that cognitive dissonance where you, you know, believed those things, those negative things about yourself, but also knew that you had to persevere for your kids? Yes, absolutely. And I mean, in my eyes, there's a difference like saying it to myself versus saying it out loud. And at that point, I had to stop saying it out loud. I still thought it in my head for a a while, but I no longer said it out loud. And I haven't. That was one promise that I've kept to myself or kept for all these years. I'm pretty proud of that as well. So keeping those, I mean, all of us are hard on ourselves. Not one of us is perfect as far as, you know, self-talk goes, but you were deliberate in, you know, keeping those things. Mm -hmm. So you had, you kind of, like you said, gone from one extreme to the other with your health, healthy habits. So then what were some of your first steps then, you know, after making that decision, after finding out that you were pregnant, what were your first steps in taking care of your health? Um, I just made sure that I ate three meals a day and I would exercise, but not excessively. I would just do maybe 30 minutes a day of walking or an elliptical. And I just made sure that to like, if I wanted to eat something, I would eat it and not worry about it. And that was very very helpful in just overcoming all of that stuff from the past. And yeah, that was the first major thing that kept me moving forward. Yeah. And that can be so hard though. Was it hard for you to take those first steps because you had been in that place for so long? Did you struggle? Yeah, I struggled a lot um, in the beginning, especially. And then of course, with my weight, I was terrified of like, gaining a bunch of weight during my pregnancy and I was terrified and I stopped like the only time I would ever see my weight was when I went to the the appointments like I didn't ever weigh myself at home that was helpful too because I just kind of 
live my life. And then whatever the scale said, when I went to the doctor, that's what it said. And it did not for the first time in my life did not have an effect on me Good in my mind, which, you know, the scale can play tricks on you. Like you can give that machine power. And I like to tell people, do not give a machine any type of power over you. Yeah. And your self-worth and yeah, it's so easy to say, and it's so hard to believe though. It's so hard to internalize. I mean, I have a scale upstairs that I decided that I wasn't going to get on anymore because I don't, why, why should I ever want that to determine how, you know, determine my mood, you know? Um, but it's, it's so hard. It's easier said than done. Yeah, for sure. But okay. So you, you were active in, in your choices and making those decisions to better your health, not just, you know, for a physical appearance, but because you had um, a baby that was coming and you knew that you just wanted to get out of those habits. So you, I mean, well, now you have two marathons under your belt and you had talked in a post about training for your, your first marathon compared to training. Now, what created the drive in you to want to run a marathon this, the second time? Um, the second time I swore after the first one, I would never, ever run a marathon ever again, because it was so hard and it was terrible and I was in pain but a few years ago probably five years ago I just really got into running half marathons for speed I guess and time and then we would Kyle and I would talk about what if I could train for a marathon and do better than I did the last time like what if I could even qualify for the Boston marathon and we would we'd figure out the pace that I would need to run to qualify for the Boston marathon. And then I would doubt myself and be like, "Ah, I don't have time to train. I don't have, I, there's no way I can do this. So I guess what motivated me to do it this time was just the lingering thought of wondering if I could do it better than I did the first time. And then COVID happened. And that's when I started training for this because, you know, what else was I going to do? being home all the time. So I started running. I started with one mile a day before I actually started training and decided that I was going to do a marathon. I just started with a mile because it'd been probably a year since I ran anything more than a mile. So I just started there and decided to go for it. Yeah. So you had this training, what training program did you use? Did you use a train? Like how, how did you know how to train? Well, I Googled marathon training plans and I came, I found it's a Hal Higdon, um, beginner marathon training plan. It's called a novice one plan and it was 18 weeks and it just, it looked doable to me. So I just took that and there was, there was no, speed work, no tempo runs, no anything. It was just distance, 100% just focus on running the distance. And that's what my main goal was when I started. I didn't have any, you know, crazy goals. I just wanted to see if I could do it better than the first time. So yeah, you're running and it takes a long time, these, these long runs. So just for anyone who's listening, who isn't familiar with training for a marathon, how much time did you carve out of your week for training? Mm, I would say probably at least, at least three to four hours, maybe more when it, when the miles got longer, but at least, you know, probably more than that. 
I don't know, five or six hours a week, I would say. Okay. So it's not terribly long because I mean, you ran your final, your, your most recent marathon in under four hours, right? Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And you know, I'm thinking of pacing for that and that like blows my mind. I'm just so in, I'm just in awe of people who have this endurance and I'm certain all of us are capable of doing exactly what you've done, Hillary. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so, I mean, for those of you who have gone and done it, it's really awe-inspiring and inspiring in general. So you were treating your body differently. You were treating your body differently this time around. So can you talk about, you know, one of your best days, one of your best long runs? Um, I would say I had to run, it was, it was only 12 miles and I ran it in town. I live in the country, so we have gravel roads and for my short runs, I would run on the gravel and it would, obviously it would take me longer. So the first time I ran in town was a 12 mile run. And I was just, the time was popping up and it was like eight minutes, eight minutes and 10 seconds, 840. Like I, and it was 12 full miles and I ran it all in, I don't even remember the time, like an hour and 40 minutes, which was fast for me at that time. And I was just so excited about that. Yeah. And when you have those experiences, you definitely want, I mean, it just gives you more fuel to keep going and training for sure. Mm -hmm. So you do have two children. So in your training for this, I know that mom guilt is real. So did you ever feel guilty for taking that time to train for this? Actually, I have felt guilty for, you know, working out forever, but I didn't this time. I would wake up well before they wake up in the morning and I would be done some most of the time before they even got up. So it took some sacrifices for me, like waking up at 445 in the morning all summer long, every Saturday was not ideal, but it helped. It didn't take any time away from my family. So no, I didn't really feel guilty in that sense. Because you weren't taking any time away from the kids that you normally would or your husband. Right, right. Because you normally would be unconscious sleeping anyway. So that's really, I mean, (laughs) that speaks to you as a parent as well, you know, knowing that, you know, your children are your priority. And again, more self-sacrifice in in that time that you carved out intentionally in order to not miss out on that time with them. That's awesome. So you trained for, trained for 18 weeks. Is that right? Well, I actually did 22 weeks because I ran, I trained the first four weeks and then I repeated the first four weeks to be on track with the marathon that I ran. So 22 weeks, 22 weeks altogether. Yep. And you did one long run a week and then the rest of the, your week were short runs. Yeah. Towards the, like the longest run I ever did during the week was 10 miles. And then yeah, 10 miles. And then the longest weekend run, it was 20 miles. Okay. Okay. So then, um, yeah, you've talked a little bit about the terrain on which you ran, <laughs> So you ran on gravel at times, you ran on pavement at times. Do you think that training on gravel or, you know, hilly terrain was something that benefited you as far as endurance? Yeah, I, now it definitely benefited me because when I'm going through it, running on those rocks, and then I have, I have this hill right outside my house and it's a 
half mile loop. So I'd come out my driveway, run up the hill, run back to my driveway, and that was half a mile. And I did that over and over and over and over again. And yeah, running on rocks is not fun, but compare, like, yeah, it definitely helped me when I ran on pavement. I was faster on pavement and I didn't hurt as bad. I wasn't, didn't have rocks like jamming in my feet. Yeah. So yes. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have anyone that was holding you accountable? Were you just holding yourself accountable? Did you have like a coach that was cheering you on? Um, how did you hold yourself accountable this time around? I did not have a coach and basically it was just me. And I would, I would do a story on Instagram every day after I was done, or sometimes I wouldn't talk about it. I just post a picture, but basically it was just me and the drive to do it is what helped me stay accountable. Well, and when you put it out there for all, you know, God and everyone to see, it also creates that, like, I have to do it now creates that accountability for sure. Mm -hmm. So let's talk. You have, you have trained, you have treated your body much better this time. You have invested in your health and your overall mental state. So let's talk about race day. What race, what marathon did you run most recently? It was the Heartland Marathon in Omaha. And did you have any other friends or racers who were going there or doing it with you? Nope. It was just, it was just me by myself and my husband and my two boys were there. Yeah. Okay. So how did you, you, you went with your family, which is awesome. I love that during this entire process, you have been so considerate and mindful about the time with your family. So I think it's perfect that they also went with you. How did you prepare the day before? Um, the day before we drove, we drove to Omaha, which is, you know, about three miles or three hours away. We spent a little time in our hotel and then we walked to a spaghetti, spaghetti works and we ate dinner there. And I was really, really nervous. So I was kind of quiet. I didn't really talk a lot. I was just thinking like all these scenarios in my head. What if I did this? And what if this happens? And what if I fall down? I mean, I just was thinking about all the things. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine that being super nerve wracking. So how was your support system at that time? I mean, your boys are there. Your husband is there. How, how were they supportive of you at that time? Oh, they were, my husband just kept telling me I was going to do great. It doesn't, doesn't matter if it, as long as you finish, it's all, all good. Telling me that I was going to be fine. Like it was going to be okay. I've trained, I've put all this time into running and it was going to be okay. Yeah. Did you have any negative self talk? I mean, you were talking about how you had those thoughts of, oh my gosh, what if this happens? What if this happens? Did you have any, you know, anything that kind of drove you to thinking more positively? Um, yeah, I, I was really nervous. Like, like, yeah, I did have some negative self talk. Like, what if I, what if I don't beat my time from last time? What if I just fail at this? What if I can't finish it? And then I really had to dig deep inside myself and realize that, you know what? It doesn't matter what your time is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're, you put the time in, you're going to do this. It's something that not a lot of people do. And no matter what, you're going to do it basically. Well, and you've been, you know, competing with yourself. So for, you know, you're you, like you said, you're a competitor and 
you've always been that way and then doing it for yourself and doing it the right way. It sounds like this time competing, I'm sure that you've always had, you know, positive reinforcement from, you know, your dad when he was your coach and that sort of thing. So you had those things on reserve in your brain as well. So that's also super powerful. Mm -hmm. So girlfriend, you're there and you are, what do they shoot a gun? Is it a blank that they shoot? What you're there, you're at the race. The race has started. Let's talk about the race. Talk me through your whole process of that. Okay. So I walked from my hotel to the start line, which was about half a mile. And let me tell you, walking in downtown Omaha at 5.30 in the morning in the dark was a little scary. But (laughs) I I met a fellow runner at a stoplight and like we didn't talk or anything, but he was in front of me and I kind of felt a little better when I found that guy and I knew where he was going. So we went there, got to the start line and it starts raining. So Oh, and, and, you know, races happen in the rain. It's not anything that's too uncommon, but throughout my training, I did not encounter any rain because if it was raining, I would just run the next day or at a different time. So it was raining. We get ready to start the race. There was about five minutes until seven o'clock and they're like, line up at the start line. So we're all at the start line. They do the national anthem. And then they come over the loudspeaker and say, we have to have a 20 minute delay because of lightning. So everybody leaves the start line and they go under the shelter. We wait our 20 minutes. We get back up to the start line and they announce that the lightning looks like it has shifted a different direction. But if it be, like if it starts to come back or if there's a lot of lightning we're going to change the marathon from a full marathon to a half marathon so oh uh uh-uh nope 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 (laughs) that is in my head so the race starts and it was everything was just good I felt good it was raining still raining it rained for half all the way probably a little more than halfway through the race it was raining and it was lightning everywhere and I couldn't, I just kept thinking, there's no way we're going to be finishing this full marathon with the lightning the way that it is. But we ended up doing it and yeah. That's nuts. So, okay. So you were running in the rain. So how did you manage that running in the rain? It wasn't too bad. I made the decision to wear a long sleeve shirt in the morning, which I was debating if I should do that or not. And I'm glad I did because it did keep me warm. I wore that for the first half and then I ended up ditching it after the rain stopped, which took about five pounds off of me, I felt like, because it was so soaked from from all the rain. But it wasn't really that, it wasn't too bad. It could have been worse. So let's talk about at the beginning, you felt good. You were ready to go. When did it start to get hard for you? Um, so at the 13 mile mark, I was coming up on the bridge and my husband and my kids were running up there to see me. Like I barely caught them and I saw them and I just was emotional because I didn't know they were going to be there. Oh, yes. So I kept going. And then at about the 15th mile, it started to get hard. I started to slow down. And it was from that point on, it was pretty much a mental 
battle with myself, like telling myself I could do it, keep going and just pushing through all the pain because I started out fast. I was at like an eight minute and 10 second pace for the first 13 miles. And then that started to slow down. Yeah. And so how did you cope with that? I mean, you, your mental space, you just, was it like mind over matter? Like you had to get through it? I mean, you, you'd pushed yourself to that limit before, but it had been a long time. Did you, I mean, did you think about, you know, your previous, like in your training, like, cause you ran all the way up to 20 miles. That was the longest run that you'd done. Correct. Yeah. Yep. You had, okay. So you had done the, the 20 miles. So then when up until that 20 mile mark, did you remind yourself that like, I've done this before <laughs> I can do this again? Yes, definitely. And I mean, I knew at some point I was going to, it was going to start to be painful and it was going to start to suck, but yeah, I definitely did a lot of positive self-talk up until the 20 miles. And then I was always nervous about the last six miles because the first time I ran my first marathon, the last six miles felt like they took me forever. And I just had to get there. And then, so I got to mile 20 and, and then it really, really started to get a little painful, but yeah, I made it. There was a, it was about the 23rd mile. I got a horrible cramp in my left leg that I've never felt before. It was the most painful thing I've ever felt. And people probably thought I was crazy because I was talking out loud to myself, like, don't you stop. Do not stop now. You cannot stop. Keep going. And I kept going and it, it hurt me for a good half mile. And then it kind of went, it subsided a little bit and I was able to finish without having that cramp in my leg, but I don't know where that came from. It was terrible. Oh man. Yeah. And right at the end to really like punch in the gut, like right at the very end when things are probably their hardest anyway. So how, I mean, how did you feel as you were approaching the end? What did that look like for you? Well, I was feeling terrible and I was just ready to be done with it. And I had, Kyle was texting me what the clock was saying on the, you know, the big thing at the finish line. And he was telling me, go, keep going. You can do it. You can get, you can beat four hours. And I just kept going. I felt the last few miles were bad. It was, took me well over 10 minutes for the last few miles. And yeah, it was, it, I was, I felt terrible, but when I finished, when I finished, I felt amazing. Like it was the best feeling in the world. Yeah. Yeah. How, how did you feel as you were, you know, approaching the finish line? Um, I was, I knew I was going to make it in under four hours and that was I mean, my only goal was to do better than I did the last time and my stretch goal. So like big, huge goal, I didn't think was even possible was to be under four hours. So I just was overcome with emotion. I was crying like that surprised me because I'm not usually, I'm not like a crier when good things happen, but I was just proud to be done with it and proud that I even made it under four hours. I was just felt great. Yeah. 
I can imagine like the absolute euphoria you would feel. I mean, and then to also be done. Did you, I mean, is runner's high a thing? <laughs> is that a thing that you experienced? Like, is there any time out of your race where you felt like it wasn't painful? Oh yeah. Like the whole first up until like the 15th mile, I was feeling great. I was not in pain. I was going faster than normal. And I just felt like, oh my God, I can do this. I'm going to do it. And it's going to be great. And then reality hit me after after that mile. After that, yeah. but I still made it. And even with a leg cramp from, you know, where you were able to do it and really kind of amaze yourself as well. What did you kind of learn about yourself through this whole thing? What, what have you learned about yourself? Just that I can do pretty much anything that I put my mind to. Like I can, I can do hard things. I can push myself when I want to stop. I just have to mentally, I just, I guess I'm, I learned that I am a mentally stronger person than I thought I was. Like I can do anything. And, you know, I think that lapses over into other aspects of our lives too. You know, when, when life gets hard, I think sometimes we think that we just can't go on and we can't do, we can't do these hard things. So, you know, with something that's physical for you to have that realization that, you know, I, I am capable of doing this and it is a mental battle running and training and you know, I'm, I'm capable, I'm capable of doing these hard things. I think that's really, really powerful and a nice boost for your ego too, of course. Right. Right. For sure. Yeah. To be able to do that. So Hillary, what advice would you have for someone who's training for a marathon or some sort of physical task that is this substantial? I would say just keep going. Even, even if you feel like you aren't getting anywhere, keep going, keep doing the training and take care of yourselves. I mean, if you feel like you need a break, your body needs a break, definitely listen to it, but just keep going. Well, and, and yeah, just invest, invest in good things for your health, invest in good things for your body. Like, I mean, I'm sure you bought like good shoes and good. I mean, you were, you talked about how your diet had changed so substantially and how that had an effect on your running. Yeah. You have wonderful advice, Hillary. So then yeah, keep going. Honestly, it shouldn't that just be our life. Just keep going. Mm -hmm. Just like, like what is it? Ori, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. So what advice would you give to those support people who are training for a huge physical task like this? I would just say, remember to stay positive and cheer them on no matter what. Even if you think what they're doing is absolutely crazy, support them and be positive. Because you've got enough negative self-talk going on in your brain, right? You don't need it coming from the outside sources. Sometimes when you're training for one of these things or something else that's huge, it does take time away from your family or your kids and you need the support people to say that, you know what, it's okay. You're doing this for you and I support you. Yeah. I mean, having that support is so important in, you know, granting ourselves permission, you know, to even do something like this. I'm thankful that we are now living in a world where self-care is something that is a, a little bit more amplified. Right. So I'm so glad that you had that support, Hillary, from your husband and your kids and seeing yourself succeed. I am just so proud to know you. And I've told you that before, but I am just so proud to know you because I think it's what you've done and, you know, how you held yourself accountable. And you were not, you did not sugarcoat anything. 
the nitty gritty of your training you posted and I, I loved watching, I loved watching you. So you guys, you need to go follow Hillary LaPointe. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Is there anything else that you would like to share? Just don't give up on yourself. Like I know being a, it's hard being a mom, being a wife, but you still need to take time for yourself and do what's important to you and not feel guilty about it. I mean, honestly, because if you're taking care of yourself, you're more likely to take better care of those that are around you. And um, yeah, just making those investments. It it is an investment. It's an investment into your, um, to yourself and, and your family. So wonderful. Hillary, thank you so much for being here. You guys, you can catch Hillary. I will, I will post her Instagram handle so that you can kind of follow her. She's fantastic. She has lots of wonderful words of wisdom. Hillary, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Yes, you guys, we will catch you next time on The Beat. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. Make sure to click the link in the description to join the Hive membership for only $5 a month. Join me in an exclusive mission to see that all stories everywhere are shared. And don't forget to rate and review our pod so that all women everywhere can find us, be encouraged, and be inspired. Again, thank you so much for listening. Screenshot this week's episode and share on your social media to bring awareness to this project. I'll catch you next week. I'm Cami Milliken, and this has been The Bee Podcast.